It's a simply beautiful image. The shepherds in a great field, staring up in wonder at a sky full of the heavenly hosts, singing out their praise and joy. The echoes of their song reverberating off the mountains. It isn't hard to imagine the shepherd's response. This group of young boys must have looked at each other wide-eyed and then hooped and cheered and ran as fast as they could into the village with a stampede of sheep following them the entire way. Giddy with excitement and out of breath. Did they burst into the stable and crowd around the manger? Or did they stop at the stable door? suddenly shy and quite overwhelmed, and peek in quietly at the couple holding a tiny baby? Did they fully understand what they were witnessing that day? Do we even fully understand what they were witnessing? The hymn that was just played so beautifully by our instrumental ensemble invites us to come to Bethlehem and see. We peek through the stable doors. We kneel with amazement before the Christ child. Our ears still ringing from the angel's song. More so than the shepherds, we're able to see who this child is because we know the gospel story. We know that the angels who announced his birth would come again just a few years later to celebrate his resurrection and to announce that the Christ was not where the woman looked for him, but that he had risen. It isn't hard to imagine that a Gloria would have been on those angels' lips as well. Sing Gloria. Sing Noel. The Messiah has come. So go and tell the world that death has died because Jesus is alive. Wish that I was there on that silent night when your tiny heart started beating for mine. Wish I could have seen the star in David's town when you turned your stable in a holy ground. I'd sing along the angel song.
the shepherds arrived at the stable that night, they experienced firsthand what we now know. The prophecy had been fulfilled. The stories they had heard about their entire lives were coming true right before their very eyes. They saw him, the Christ child, the one who had come to save the world. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, good will toward men. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. O sing glory in the highest. He is come. Our great Messiah, come Bow before this awesome mystery, mighty God and fragile baby. Here, a lowly manger holds. And it's still, my friends, the greatest story ever told.
taking time this month to talk about the gifts that God gives us. Well, of course, Christmas gifts started with Jesus. It started with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. Yeah, I'm glad you know that one. That's good. God gave us uh, the, the, the model of giving. He sacrificed the greatest for anyone. If you think about that particular verse, for God, the greatest person. So love, the greatest love. The world, the greatest group of people ever to be loved was the world. You know, I can love Linda, and I do. I love our children. But I can tell you, I don't even know the whole world. But God loves the greatest group of people ever loved. And then he says, he, God so loved the world, that he gave the greatest sacrifice. I can't imagine I do know what it's like to go to a funeral for one of our children. It was the most difficult thing. And when I find people who've lost a child, and this week I had a call from our missionary, Brother Robert Smith, down in Barbados. And he has a, a fellow pastor, Brother Ronnie Roberts. And his 19-year-old son was, uh, had been a faithful young man in the church, but he had an accident. And in the accident, he passed away. 
And Brother Smith called me, and I've tried to get a hold of Ronnie a couple times. I'm going to continue to get a hold of him. He said, but could you call him? Because you know what it's like. I don't know what it's like to lose his son. You know, would you call him? And I am in the process of calling him. You know, that night when we found out that our son had passed away, I remembered real quickly this thought. God knows what it's like to lose a child. He knows what it's like to lose a son. And he can help me. He can help Linda. But God gave the greatest sacrifice when he died on the cross. That whosoever, the greatest inclusion, you can, you can be a lady and you're included. You can be a man and you're included. You can be a young and you're included. You can be old and you're in included. It doesn't matter the pigment on your skin. It doesn't matter the origin of your birth. It doesn't matter your social status. Whosoever, anyone who would believe the simplest way to be saved. You know, the sad thing about religion is that many religions will, um, if you ask them, what do you have to do to have eternal life? They'll tell you, you have to do this and do this and do this and do this. But a man in the Bible in Acts chapter 16 asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? And he said, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, John 3.16 tells us that the way we're saved is whosoever believeth. You know, it's simple. You know, the Bible tells us unless someone comes to Jesus as a little child. You know, children are quick to do two things that you and I, as we age, are not as quick to do. We're quick to believe. They're quick to believe. And they're quick to receive. If you had someone at the door of Walmart giving out $100 bills, you would probably say, Hey, what's going on? What are you doing? Where's the camera? What's the joke? You may not do that, but that's what many of us would do. But little children don't do that. If you're given $1 bills, candy, caramel apples, or $100 bills, as soon as you offer it to them, they are quick to receive it. They're quick to believe what you tell them, and they're quick to receive what you give them. You know, that's how we get saved. John chapter 1, verse number 12, the Bible says, But as many as received Jesus. To them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You know, to get saved, to accept the gift of eternal life, we must believe and receive. Well, then the Bible tells us that whosoever believes in him should not perish. It's the greatest escape. The word perish is just small for us today. P-E-R-S-H. I-S-H is just a quick, a quick word, but it means to die and to be separated from God eternally. It means to go to hell. I don't like to talk about hell, but I wouldn't be an honest preacher if I avoided the topic. When Jesus was on earth, there are four books of the Bible that are recorded, and uh, he talked more about hell than he did about heaven. He talked more about hell than he did about many things. You know why? Because he knows about it. And he doesn't want you to go there. And God is not willing that any would perish. Everyone that goes to hell goes to hell unsaved. No one goes to hell unloved. But he said you can avoid hell. You can avoid perishing. And he says here that you can not perish but have opposite of that everlasting life. The greatest eternity. Someone said, what? do you think the greatest verse of the Bible is John 3, 16? I think so. Yesterday morning, we had a funeral for a precious girl named Laura Riddle. 
And she was uh, in her 70s. But she, uh, her favorite verse was John 3.16. Tomorrow morning across the street, we'll have a funeral service for Miss Millie Mooney. Miss Millie used to sit right back over here in this section. And uh, she is now with the Lord Jesus Christ. But she, when she was 16 years old, she spent most of her life in the children's hospital. Uh, she had a bad knee, rheumatoid, children's rheumatoid arthritis. And from the time, for the first 10 years of her life, she's in the hospital. And she came to Hammond, Indiana here. And when she was 16, she was always looking for the Lord. She wanted, she wanted something spiritual. She had been through a hard thing. She never moved and, uh, and, and did uh, bent her left knee. Her left knee was always straight. And, uh, but uh, she was seeking the Lord, and a friend of her invited her. Or someone, she saw what was going on here at First Baptist Church, and this was back before Brother Hiles. This was back in Brother Owen's, uh, Miller's days in the 50s. And she saw people coming out, and they looked happy. They looked joyful. They looked like they had something she was looking for. And she slipped in, and she came into the building. When she came to the building, Mrs. Vesey quickly identified her as a guest and said, are you sitting with anybody? She said, no. And she came and sat with her. She was sit with our family. They sat with her, and at the end of the invitation, she gave her heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Or she, better yet, accepted the gift of eternal life as her Savior. And she raised five children in this church. And uh, God has used her wonderfully, such an encouraging lady. But her favorite verse is John 3, 16. Tomorrow at that funeral, we'll go over that same verse I'm going over with you. I think it's the greatest Christmas verse in the Bible. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. As I think about the Christmas gifts that God gives us, we've talked about that this month. We talked about the gift of God's presence. In the first few words of the book of Matthew, it says, You'll call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. See, among all the things that Jesus is called, he's called Emmanuel, someone who is the person of God and he comes to be with you. I love that because the last words of Matthew is, Lo, I am with you. He's God with us, and he never will leave us. It's a beautiful thing. We talked about the gifts that God gives us at Christmas. When he brought his son, he gave us the gift of his presence. When he brought his son, he gave us the gift of peace. Jesus is called, among many other things, the Prince of Peace. Peace with God, so we could not have to go to hell. We would have, by the way, being justified. We are innocent, and we don't have anything. God has nothing against us. We have peace with God. But also, we can have the peace of God as we walk with Jesus. John 10.10, the Bible says that he's come not just to give us life, but to give us life more abundantly. Christmas means God gives us his presence. Christmas means God gives us his peace. Christmas means that God shows us the gift of sovereignty. When I say sovereignty, I mean that God overrules in the affairs of men. You and I can get stirred up about lots of things. I'm going to call my senator this week and ask them to consider a few things about the election, and I'm going to contact them. But the truth of the matter is my hope is not in the government. But God knows how to use the government. 
I love this about the Christmas story. The Bible says, and you'll read it probably on Christmas Day, Luke chapter 2. And there went out a decree from who? Caesar Augustus, the ruler of the world at that time, that all the world should be taxed. Well, why did he do that? Because God was going to use his, his decree to get a little couple from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. Because that was where the Christ child was going to be born, and God already had that decided. You know, we, we see Christmas shows us that God is working in my life. He's working in your life. You say, now why would a little girl have to be raised in a hospital for 10 years of her life with children's rheumatoid arthritis and multiple other things? Maybe it was to generate a real thirst for God. So she would see a church and see something that she wanted in people and found Jesus Christ in the process. You know, God is always working. He's always proactive. He's always futuristic. He's always working. There's not a one of us who are sitting here because of our own ability. Not a one of us. You didn't pick the skin color of you, or you didn't pick your mom and dad. You, didn't, you, you say, well, I know I came to church on my own free will. I know, but God helped you with that. If it weren't for God's help, you wouldn't be able to find your mouth this morning to eat. You wouldn't be able to take care of yourself. You wouldn't put one foot in front of another. It couldn't make two and two four. God is sovereign. He works in that. He's also God gifted Christmas as a strengthening gift. He strengthens us in difficult times. But today I want to talk to you just for a few moments about three other gifts that God gives us. Number one, at Christmas, he gives us the gift of love. If you look at John chapter 3, verses 12 through 18, you're going to see there's three concepts pop out real quickly. One is love. The other is loyalty, and the other is life. Those are three beautiful gifts at Christmas. Let's look at chapter, 12, or chapter 3, verse 12. Can we look at it quickly? And then we'll conclude momentarily. Thank you for listening and not talking to anyone around you and listening to the message this morning. It's not because of me. It's because of the Lord Jesus Christ that we should give attention. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Jesus is talking to a man named Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus is a very good man, and there are some good people in this room. But let me just have, make sure you underline this in red and mark it down and highlight this. No one goes to heaven because they're good, including Nicodemus. Nicodemus did not understand. He, he thought, you know, I go to church every day. I give of my goods to the poor. I've memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and many of the Psalms in the Bible. I fast every week. Surely I'm good enough to go to heaven. And Jesus says, no, sir, you're not. Marvel not. Don't be surprised that I'm telling you, you must be born again. Everybody needs to be born again. We talked about two deaths, a physical death that separates the body and the spirit and the soul and then a spiritual that separates us from God is called to be perished in the lake of fire. Hey, listen, friend, every one of us, we have to be born twice to avoid that second death. Bible math is this. If you're only born once, you'll have to die twice. If you're born twice, you only die once. That's why Nicodemus had to hear it from the Lord and said, Nicodemus, you don't be surprised. Marvel not that I'm telling you, you have to be born again, too. Because nothing we can do can give us eternal life. Eternal life is not a reward for the righteous. It's a gift for the guilty. It's the secret of eternal life is to learn that it cannot be earned. 
A priest can't give it to you. A pastor can't give it to you. You can't get saved by getting baptized or joining a church or turn over a new leaf. No, the only way we can have eternal life is through Jesus Christ and being born again. That's what we're talking about this morning. Well, Nicodemus is listening to this, uh, to this message that Jesus gave him in the, in the night hours. He did not see him during the midday. He came to him at night when the crowd settled. And he went to him. He was a wealthy man. He was a prestigious man. And he came to Jesus. He complimented him and said, hey, we know that you're not the average crackpot Messiah. Because you can do miracles. And the miracles have set up in my heart a belief to know that you're from God. And Jesus said, yes, Nicodemus, I am from God, but you must be born again. He goes, well, how can I be born when I'm old? Can I enter the second time into my mother's stomach and be born? He says, no, you're born physically, and then you have to be born spiritually. Because you die physically, and you potentially could die spiritually unless you're born spiritually. He explained that to him, and then after that, he says, just like Jesus in the Old Testament, he had in the, in the in the Old Testament, he said, whenever people were real sick, one time God said to Moses, "Go put a brazen serpent high in the sky." We even use that today. You see, doctors or or paramedics, they often will have a, a snake on a pole there. It's because of what happened in the Old Testament. He says, "You get that brazen serpent, you put it high in the sky, and if someone gets bit by a snake and they're going to die, all you tell them to do." is to look at the brazen serpent and they can live. Simplistically. Not run to the brazen serpent, not hold on to it, not climb the pole, just look and live. He said, and just like that serpent is raised up in that wilderness, whenever there was a terrible uh, disease going around of snake-bit people, he said, whenever your snake bit was sin, just like in the Old Testament, Jesus will be lifted up. Sometimes we say this, and and we say that if I be lifted up, I'll draw in on to me. We think, well, we have to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. But quite frankly, it's speaking about being crucified. He had, to, he had to be suspended between heaven and earth. Of course, we have a cross, and we have a large cross in the, in the uh, foyer there. I have a friend of mine who is Hindu, and he said to me the other day, he said, why do you take Jesus off of your cross? And I say, because he's no longer there. He's already done what needs to be done. But the cross, he was suspended between heaven and earth. The people could look and believe on Jesus and they could be saved. Well, it seems like to me the conversation is over with Nicodemus. And we look at verse number 15. Would you look at it with me? The Bible says that whosoever believeth in Jesus. Let's pick up verse 14. Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Even he has to be crucified. It's a have to. Verse 15. And whosoever believeth in him, in Jesus, should not perish, but have eternal life. By the way, the word eternal is mentioned 16 times in John's gospel. He likes to use that word eternal, and I'm glad he does. Verse number 16, read it with me, would you please? For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. You know, that word saved, this is the first time that it comes on the pages of our Bible in the book of John. 
He uses the word saved. And sometimes people are not sure what saved means. It means to be saved from our sin. He said when Jesus came, he didn't come to condemn. He came to provide salvation. You keep reading the Christmas story, you'll see in Luke chapter 2, there's a guy named Simeon. I'll probably reference him next week in the message. I love Simeon in the Bible. He's an older man who God told him, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. And one day he went to the temple as he regularly did, and he saw a little couple there, Mary and Joseph, and he saw them with a baby, and God told him, that's going to be your Messiah. And he picked him up, and he said to them, mother and father, and he took this just older gentleman. Sometimes when you have a baby, you don't want just anybody to hold them. But Mary, obviously, this older gentleman came, and he took him, and he said, Now my eyes have seen thy salvation. By the way, what he was looking at, he wasn't looking at a baptistry. He wasn't looking at a church role. He wasn't looking at a changed life. He was looking at a baby. He was looking at a person. That's Jesus. By the way, if you ever go to heaven, it's going to be because you accepted Jesus. Well, he says, just like Jesus was lifted up, the Son of Man was lifted up. And then he didn't come to bring condemnation. He is not willing that any would perish. You can think of the worst person on the planet. God loves them. He proved that in the last few moments of his life. One thief over here said, if you're the Son of God, get us off this cross. Get yourself down. The other one said, uh, remember me. Remember me. I believe in you. And he saved them. God wants to save you this morning. The most important thing you need to know is how to get to heaven from here. But let me remind you of the gifts that God gives us. Number one, he gives us the gift of love. God so loved the world. John 15, verse 13, the Bible says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. God loves you. I think one of the greatest gifts at Christmas is love. You know, it's we give, you know, someone can give and not love, but they don't love without wanting to give. And the reason God gives to us is because he loves us. That's a gift of Christmas. Another gift is the gift of loyalty or faith. You know, I'm so glad that Jesus, is, he, he will be with us forever. You know, one, there's no one as faithful as Jesus. There's a song that is sung, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. He loves you and he's with you. But the last thing I want to share with you this morning is the gift of life. As you look at this pastor's scripture, he'll speak of eternal life and everlasting life. There's two groups of people in this room today. In the balcony, on the main floor, there's people that have eternal life and there's people that don't have it. I have a man come to me the other day and he said to me, Pastor, I came here the first time to church. And someone explained to me how to be saved. And they did a good job, but I didn't understand it. He said, last week, I understood it. And I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. You know, the Bible tells us, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I wanted to share with you just real quickly. If you're here today, you're not sure if you were to die, you'd go to heaven. I want to tell you how you can know that. Number one. You'll need to know that you're a sinner. The reason we need to be saved is because all of us say things, do things, and think things we shouldn't do, think, or say. And we do it every day. If you ever got a room and said, if you've never lied, raise your hand. Whoever raised their hand would be the biggest liar in the room. 
Because all of us have lied. All of us have broken God's laws. And all of us need to be saved because of our sin. The Bible tells us we sin by nature and we sin by choice. How we can have eternal life, we have to admit and understand and confess that we're sinners. And we can't go to heaven that way. If you think for a moment you're going to walk in the presence of God one day and tell him, here's why you should save me, because I did this, this, and this. That would be like someone who murdered your son coming and saying, hey, listen, I'm going to give you 100 bucks. Are we good? Are you kidding me? If he brought you 1000 would you be okay with that? No. It would be silly. No, the only way that sinners can be saved is someone innocent has to die for them, and that was God's Son who died for us. We have to realize we're a sinner. Number two, we have to understand that the price of our sin is to be separated from God forever in the lake of fire. We spoke about two deaths. That second death, the Bible says in Revelation 20, verse 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found in the book of life, that book of life, when someone's born into God's family, when they believe and receive Jesus, they get their name in the book of life that is forever there. And one day, the Bible tells us, it's going to be over a thousand years from now, but there will be a final judgment for those who have rejected Jesus. And the Bible says that their name is not in the book of life. They'll be cast into the lake of fire. When we see the word cast, the Bible tells us in John chapter 6 and verse 37, that all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. God says, because I'm a sinner, I can't go to heaven on my own. Because I'm a sinner, I deserve eternal separation from God in hell. But Jesus loved me. And on the cross, he did all that was needed to be done so I could be saved. On the cross, he did for me what I could not do for myself. He was separated from God, the Father, so I wouldn't have to be. He died so I could live. He died so you can live. And then the Bible tells us that whosoever believeth in him would not have to die, would not have to perish, but could have everlasting life. I want to ask you this something this morning. I do not know my audience completely. I see you, and I am so grateful you came. In the balcony, the main floor, do you know for sure that you have the gift of eternal life? Say, Pastor, I was raised in church. That's not what I ask you. Do you know for sure that you have eternal life? You either have it or you don't. If you have it, it's because there's been a time and a place when you accepted it. I have a gift here. If I wanted to give it to Brother Paul, I walk over, I gift it. When he goes home, someone could say to him, and his wife could say, Kelly could say, hey, Paul, when did you get the gift? He could say, what, 1158? Where? First Baptist Church. Who? Pastor Wilkerson. He'd go back to a time and a place and a person. You know, everyone who has the gift of eternal life, they go back to a time and a place and a person. You don't have to know the, the hour and the clock. You don't have to know the day and the calendar, but you know when. You put your faith in Christ. Some of you, you have a story you tell people, but you know, and God knows, that you don't have eternal life. If that's you today, maybe you would say, Pastor, I heard the story, I prayed a prayer, but you didn't understand what you were doing. Just like our brother did, told me last week. He said, Pastor, I just, I was too new. I didn't understand it. I now get it. 
And today, after you finish preaching, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. If that's what you need to do, here's what you need to know. Number one, you're a sinner. Can't save yourself. Number two, you deserve hell. Number three, only Jesus could save you. He's your righteousness. And number four, you need to believe him and accept him.